a special mailbag edition of the Missions Podcast today. At root, if we start by recognizing that any legitimate ministry is going to have at the center of it the proclaiming of God's word, then that can take different shapes. But normatively, what you see the apostles engaging in and what you see the thrust of the New Testament is public proclaiming the essential truths of the gospel in a way that's going to eliminate all of the barriers to their understanding. Sometimes it's just going to make the offense of the message even more apparent. Going along with that, is there any intention at all of discipling the next generation of leaders? I think rapid strategy folks, they're going to put a strong emphasis and critique of saying a lot of Western missions didn't do a very good job of replicating leaders and intentionally multiplying. And I think that's a fair critique and a critique we need to be aware of. These questions and more today on the show. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Cookwin, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for APWE, joined by Scott Dunford, West Coast Mobilizer and Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Scott, old friend. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing. We're through the holidays. You know, it feels like I'm still shaking off some of the, the lethargy or maybe it was too much cheese or maybe it was the, <laughs> the Packers getting crushed. And, and uh, now I I'm know. all sorry. But but whatever, whatever it is, yes, I'm doing good. To borrow a phrase from a friend, better than I deserve for sure. <laughs> Your friend Dave Ramsey. Um, is, that what, is, that what, is that who? Is that who? Yeah, he's not my friend. Is that who, is that who says that? I've heard a lot of people say it. I, that he's the one that I hear say it the most. I, I know somebody who does a business podcast and he joked the other day. He's like, yeah, I've been accused of being the Christian version of Dave Ramsey. I've, I felt lost oh. when I heard him say that. If we have any wow. Dave Ramsey fans in the audience, uh, we're, you just we're triggered sorry. a bunch I of people. Them. Now we're going to get all these negative reviews. It's sad because we were, we were just reading through the reviews and we were kind of getting big headed and we, we saw so many positive ones, but uh, all good things yeah. went to an end. And that, and that one star review that... That was encouraging too. Yeah. <laughs> I was highly encouraged by it. Yeah. So what we wanted to do today though, was going to be a little bit of a break from the huge, right, Scott? Yeah. So we're really glad that everyone, so many people have sent in questions and uh, we're going to try to answer them at least to the best of our ability. And thankfully some of the questions, you know, we've topped tackled in other episodes, or we have interviews coming up that are going to shed more light on the situation, but, but it'll be fun to kind of talk through them and at least pool our ignorance. <laughs> that's what we do every week on the missions podcast is pool our ignorance. Um, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> mm-hmm. but, yes. Um, yeah, so we, what we did was we opened it up on Twitter and we just asked a few people what they'd love to hear us address in 2020. And uh, we've got some of that now. Scott, one of the uh, more interesting questions, it's one that we've hit on before, but I do think it's worth um, retracing at least for a little bit. Uh, this is a question from Eric King. His Twitter handle is at Global Hike. And he asked if we would address the impact of the, quote, finish the task ideology, uh, unquote. And um, I guess we should probably start by defining that. How, how would you understand that, Scott? Boy, like, you know, this is like a hot topic even right now. I mean, I was just reading some of some Twitter threads and some blog posts about this very this very thing. But when I think of finish the task, I, I, I tend to think of it as like an eschatological question and and then how missions plays into that. And it tends to get into that question of like, what, what does it mean that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and, and then Christ will return? Like, what does that mean? Is, is there like a, especially when we, we put that in light of revelation seven in which we see, you know, every tribe, tongue, people and nation gathered around the throne. Like, is there this, is there this metric in heaven? Is there this heavenly missiologist that's keeping track of people groups? And, and if we just get to the last people group now, now it's triggered, Jesus can finally return. And I know I'm, I'm saying it in a snarky way, but I, I think that's kind of the heart of the question. Like, is, is that a, is, is Jesus coming back and trying to enable Jesus to come back? Is that, a good motivation for missions. Is is that how you read the question? Yeah, I, I, I do read it that way. I think finish the task um, 
is sort of an official either not, if not organization, I, I do think there's a movement around it. Um, a hashtag, a slogan, all of those sorts of things that might be some sort of official, um, group or splinter off of another group. Um, I, part of me wants to say that David Garrison's involved in that. I'm not entirely sure. I can't verify that. I'm sure somebody else out there that's listening would know, but essentially that's, that's what it represents to me is this idea uh, if anything, you know, even to put the best spin on it, but it seems to emphasize minimalism, right? That the Great Commission is about creating a base number of disciples out of every ethno-linguistic people group that we've enumerated in our studies, our surveys, and all, all those sorts of things. And I think there's a good motivation. Who doesn't want Jesus to come back sooner? But I do think it's misinformed. And I think it's misinformed even just going back to our understanding of the Great Commission itself, making disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Um, the, the word, you know, make disciples of all the nations, we, we tend to misread that, I think, through our English translations as we should pull out a small, usually minority portion from among each people group and be discipling them. Um, but in... Greek, there's just two words. It's disciple all the nations, uh, or not two words, but but it, the, it's disciple, right? The the action of of rendering them disciples, right? Of teaching them to obey Jesus, of and that, and that entails evangelism too, of course. And the object is the nations. It's pantata ethne. It's not a, a small handful of people. Well, that that task is never done. We've we've explored that with Matt Bennett. Uh, in the time that he's been on is, is, you know, in a sense it can be completed. Um, but in a sense, it's also always ongoing, uh, just as we as individuals are always growing as disciples ourselves and always being discipled. Would you agree with that? Um, I, I think you probably stated it too strongly. Um, that's unlike me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to be a negative thing at all. Uh, I mean, is there the question is, is there a task? And I think every every person coming at missions was, yeah, there's a task. Like, is there is there a finishing of that task? And I, I think I could we should say yes. Um, we don't know what that finishing looks like necessarily. But in God's mind, there is a task to be finished. And and yes, we we continue to make disciples, you know, until Christ uh, returns. Uh, I think we continue to think and I think it's clear and I, and I, and I want to give a little more credence to the people who are using that language more. Uh, and I'm sure I've used that language and, and I'm, I think I might still use that language uh, because I know I've used it too. I think I probably would intentionally even. <laughs> so, and, and the reason, the reason is, is we can, we can easily look and say there are still lots of people groups in which there's no gospel, uh, vibrant gospel preaching, reproducing church, even, you know, much less, um, you know, enough church, enough churches and Christians to reach that people group and expand, expand their mission. So like, you know, I, I think we, we can identify the fact that we're far from, from, from accomplishing all that Christ has commanded us regarding discipling the nation. So if that's your motivation, I think that's a great motivation. If the motivation is somehow triggering, uh, you know, triggering Christ to come back, I, I feel like that's probably misguided. And, uh, and if and if it's just minimalism, I, I, and I don't think, I think that's a little unf of an unfair criti criticism that it's minimalism because I, I don't know anyone that actually like yeah you're right I just we can get 15 people in that people group let's move on, but but the idea that that there are people groups with zero believers or not even one percentage of one percent believers like I do think that is that that is a motivation and not necessarily a terrible motivation although it shouldn't be the only motivation. Is that right? Um, Want to push back on that? <laughs> no, no. I think that's where we can both land and agree is, is that what we would both reject is anything that would say, okay, we've gotten this people group up to 2% evangelical. Let's leave and yeah. do nothing there. Now that's, that, that would be uh, clearly misguided. We all agree that there's a task um, to do um, and it needs to be finished, but we don't get to know exactly uh, when it is finished, we won't know when it's finished until it becomes uh, real and manifest that Christ has saved all of his people. He's drawn in all of his elect and he decides to uh, to break open the yeah. sky and return at that point. At that point, it'll be clear that the task is finished. But we, we don't 
have the eye of God to be able to know precisely when that's quote unquote finished. And until then, our goal should not be what's the least that we can do in order to render it finished, but what's the absolute most that we can do bringing people to complete obedience to Jesus. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in fairness, when you sit down and talk to different missiologists, even ones that if you read their book, you're like, I don't agree with that at all. Most of the time when you sit down and you bring out like, uh, you know, certain specific things you have a problem with the, the answer that is you usually have more in common than less in common. Um, and certainly your theological background, your training, even the kind of ministry you've been involved with shades, how you write and talk about certain things, but like even like the 2% threshold, you know, the, the reality is that most people working in, in those unreached people groups that are underneath that 2% threshold, um, like rarely do, does a people, do those people groups in the, in someone's lifetime? Like we just crossed it. We're out. It's more of a theor- theoretical looking at and trying to say, um, trying to also encourage ministries to, to re maybe rethink how they've, how they've allocated resources. Like it's more of like pay attention to the, the least reached more than let's abandon other places. That makes sense. Like surely that happens, but I think we, um, some of it just is it, it's theorizing rather than reality, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. Well, and that actually, I think, transitions well to the next point, which is somebody else was asking us, Brian Wolf on Twitter. Uh, his handle is Brian something that I can't pronounce. Um, but Brian Wolf, you know who you are. Uh, <laughs> he, he was asking us about what we would say about different, and, and these are his words, methods of counting converts. Uh, I, whether they're not there, there is a method or if so, what would be the best method, but it does, it does kind of relate to that. You know, we're talking about this 2% um, figure, which is helpful, but obviously can only be pushed so far. Um, I'll throw something out there as far as how do we know who are the converts? How do we count them? Uh, I think it's important to not only look at professions of faith, but I think it's critical to look at baptisms. Would you agree? Yeah. I, I, it makes, it makes sense for us for sure. Um, I mean, of course you have some scenarios in which multiple people are baptizing multiple people. Um, but, but, you know, within a context of a a local church or the beginning of a local church, it seems like, um, like measuring like people's commitment to following Christ and publicly declaring that in baptism would be the way to go. Um, we had a good interview. This is a while ago uh, with Justin Long about kind of how, how that, how those metrics get collected and numbers from missiology. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's value certainly in counting, but there's certainly a lot of potential for double counting in some right. ways. Right. Yeah. Well, and especially because so baptism is that moment where you're there's skin in the game. You're publicly professing faith in Christ. And, you know, there are methodologies that are going to encourage people to stay underground and to not publicly acknowledge their faith. And we would push against that. We would say, hey, if if God gives you the grace to turn to Christ, he'll give you the grace to turn to Christ uh, publicly, even at a cost to yourself. And that's just a straightforward reading of, uh, I think, what the New Testament has to say about uh, our witness and about suffering. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the father. I mean, I think that, that we can trust God to give people the grace to take that yeah. sort of step of faith. So baptism is important, but then also I think baptism should uh, more or less um, represent who are the members of a local church. So if your church is just baptizing someone, but that baptism isn't initiating them into some form of, uh, of visible membership where now they are a part of whatever that local church body is. Now they're visibly a part of that people. They're in relationship with that people. They are uh, in community. They're in accountability to uh, the leaders that God has put over that body of believers, whatever form that that takes, baptism should be initiating them into that rather than it just being maybe a public rite that you go through, but then whoever constitutes the actual congregation in a given place is somehow counted or determined completely separately from that. Would you, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I I grew up in a type of revivalistic Baptist, you know, um, milieu that 
sometimes even like kept a little count. I mean, I was been in, this was in my church, but this was uh, my wife's church uh, growing up that had like a counter, like how many people were saved and baptized, you know, and they kept it on like, mm. like a, yeah. like a running tally on the wall. And uh, I, I would say like for our church, uh, certainly we rejoice when someone professes faith and we rejoice with baptism. There's also de- definitely like a sense though of, of uh, first coming back to what you said before, um, you study the new Testament baptism is a bigger deal than we make it not a lesser deal. Like you come away with studying new Testament going, wow, they really valued baptism and put it like the, your profession in baptism is, is very, very tightly linked to your profession of faith. And, mm-hmm. um, you can't, it's hard to separate those two. Uh, but then beyond that, like, do we have people that are baptized and disappear? Yeah, I think every church probably does. You know, any church that's faithfully evangelizing and baptizing does have, you know, people that I don't know what happened after their baptism, but they just disappeared. I don't I don't necessarily count those as converts, even though they publicly profess their faith. And uh, and so I think there's there's the that that sense of time and investment and commitment to the community of believers, the church and, uh, and, and continuing to be a disciple. And that's what we're really looking for is disciples, not just converts. So if that's what the question's asking, I mean, that's, I think you and I are on agreement on that. If it's about counting, like uh, that, that gets tricky. And I think that probably mission organizations do best when, when they're counting, they ask their missionaries to, to, do you know these converts? And they're talking about not what they've heard of or what they've walked into a village and seen, but actually their disciples or their grandchildren disciples and uh, seeing what's actually happening and working with those pastors rather than just kind of hearing about stories of, of, you know, Christian church over the mountain. That makes sense. Right. Right. And all of that needs to be aimed at local churches that are being planted and formed. Um, if we would all look at New Testament passages about church discipline, you know, and and realize that there are situations where somebody who's in unrepentant sin um, prayerfully, um, cautiously, but eventually does need to be brought to the point where uh, the leadership of a church publicly tells that person they're no longer, no longer welcome at that church, right? That's, that's New Testament teaching in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, in Matthew 18. If we would agree that that's a thing, right, that somebody who's who is recalcitrant in sin needs to be shown the door, then it's not a far logical leap to realize, well, wait, if there's, if there's a back door, there needs to be a front door. Uh If there's a way out of the church, there needs to be a way into the church. So anytime that we're talking about counting disciples or converts or professors of faith or baptisms, uh, any way that we, we start abstracting that from who are the members of the local church? You know, who are those that, you know, Hebrews 13, 17, when the elders, um, whether they're missionaries or, or nationals that have been raised up, but when the elders stand before God, you know, whose souls are they going to be having to give account for? There's no way to, to give a clear accounting. You know, that's a problem. So we would want to take all of this conversation about counting and just point that and push that back towards the local church. I, I totally agree with that. And, and- yeah, I think that's such a huge key. Shifting gears a little bit. Are you okay with shifting gears? I'm okay with shifting gears. Yeah, let's do it. Let's shift gears. Actually, let's do this. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back on the Missions Podcast. The Missions Podcast is back at T4G and we're going big. If you'll be in Louisville on April 15th, join us at the Ice House, half a mile from the Yum Center for the local church and the nations, a special live recording of the Missions Podcast with an expert panel. Yeah, guests that you're familiar with, guests that we've had in the show like Zane Pratt, Darren Carlson, Brooks Buser, Paul Davis, John Clausen, and George Collins will join us to answer when Jesus said to disciple all the nations, what did he mean by that? Did he mean countries or people groups or languages and making practical what can ordinary churches do about that how we answer can make or break our strategies it'll be riveting edifying and we mentioned it's the deepest lunch in town yeah so grab your spot and your food for just ten dollars go to missionspodcast.com slash t4g or follow the link in the show notes and if you're not signed up yet for t4g our partner live global use the code t4g20 live global 10 off to receive ten dollars off your t4g registration Go into the show notes and see exactly how that's spelled. That's T4G20 Live Global 10 off. You get $10 off your registration and we'd love to see you there. Absolutely.
Absolutely. So join us and we'll see you in Louisville on April 15th at T4G. A special message from ABWE President Paul Davis. ABWE missionaries are coming beside the lost and the hurting around the world. And through the Global Gospel Fund, they're pulling people from the darkness and training them as leaders. They're planting churches, and they're even beginning their own missions movements. You may already support one ABWE missionary. Would you consider a gift to the Global Gospel Fund to support all 1,000 of our missionaries? Thank you for that. Become a partner today at abwe.org slash global gospel fund. Training is the biggest common denominator in people who make it through the first two years and people who don't. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. Radius is a 10-month intensive training school that trains students who are going to church plants among the last 3,100 unreached groups left in the world. The driving burden is really to see every language group reached with a really strong, lasting New Testament church. Okay, so why should someone attend Radius International? I would say someone should attend radius because we see missionaries that don't make it because they weren't expecting the challenges that were coming at them. Everyone's going to hit hurdles. It's what you do when you hit those hurdles. If you've had those challenges at radius, you get to see those challenges. You get to experience some of them in the environment in Tijuana. And you also have capable staff that have a background and can guide you through a lot of those hurdles. And so you tend to do much better. I'm one of the team leaders. He says there's just something different about radius graduates. They understand and they get through things a lot faster and they do better on the field when the hard times come. What's your final challenge? Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. And we're back and we want to dive in a little bit more to the aspect of the missionary calling, something that we've talked about on the show before. Uh, but Brian Wolf on Twitter also writes and asks if we would address missions as a call, and that's in air quotes, that's in scare quotes, versus, he says, a task that can be done like a job. Mm. (laughs) The way that that question is framed is a little bit funny, and I think we both know why, but um, the word vocation (laughs) means call, right? Vocal, Uh right? There's that root word there. Uh, But I think what Brian is asking is, do you need an audible voice from heaven or something in providence, you know, that's undeniable to confirm that God leads you towards missions or, you know, is it, is it very much unlike choosing a job here at home where you would simply say, I need a job. I'm going to apply for a job. I got the job. I'm going to do it unless I get a flashing neon sign telling me not to. Uh, Is it the sort of thing that we need this sort of divine confirmation on our lives in order to do? And, and I, I have some thoughts on that. But Scott, as the old man in the room, you have more wisdom than me. And so we will defer to your gray haired wisdom, gray haired and falling out hair combined. That, that is true wisdom. Um, a oh boy, it, this is, it's a thorny question. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll do my best on, on this and realize like, I, I, I don't think I'm in the definitive word. Um, so we and we did we did do a, a episode on the call a while back and i think it would be worth you know going revisiting that question but i think first of all it's like understanding there's a sense in which god calls his church to to be engaged in the task of the great commission so in that sense there is like a a more general call in that i think we we listen to um how it comes out personally I think we see different things in scripture, right? So you, you see in Acts chapter six, and this isn't necessarily dealing with missions, but it is dealing with ministry in that um, in Acts chapter six, there's this problem, there's this racial and ethnic tension that's taking place. It's causing ministry not to go forward well. And, and the apostles lead that and basically tell the congregation, call out from among you, those who are you know godly and full of wisdom and, and uh, devout people and appoint them to this specific task. So in that sense, 
you know, and this isn't missions per se, but we do see evidence in scripture of when there's a task that's given to the church and it's not being accomplished well, it is the responsibility of the congregation to pray about it and try to meet that need. I think you kind of see the same idea in Acts chapter 13 is that people are praying and fasting, the leaders of the church, and through that praying and fasting, God calls out a Paul and Barnabas for a specific, and that says a really a missionary task. Um, so there's a general, there's like the congregational, and then you do see sometimes where there is a unique individual call, but not always. Uh, I mean, certainly Paul had that, you know, unique call where, you know, not only was unique, his salvation was, was unique, but then also his, his calling and equipping to ministry was unique. But, but we don't see that necessarily that same, that same, um, calling take place with the work of Timothy. It seems probably that Paul, Paul picked Timothy and, uh, and then it was confirmed by the laying out of hands, which he reminds him of, you know, the, the, remember the laying out of hands that you had that authority that was given to you. So I, I don't think it necessarily has to be one size fits all. There are people probably that God's going to uniquely call and it needs to be confirmed by the church, but they can't shake the fact that at this moment in time, I felt the spirit strongly leading me to this case. I think there also are people that, that are willing, they're godly, they're full of wisdom, and they recognize that there is a task to be completed. They're willing to do that task. And then in, in a more, um, a more process way where the church, the, the church is the one that says, you know, Alex, like we've been watching you. You seem to have a heart for this. You are gifted in this. You're spirit filled and you're full of wisdom and there is a task to be done. Uh, would you answer God's call to go do the task? And you say, here am I, send me, you know, like, so I think we can see it both ways. I don't think it has to be one size fits all. I think when we do that, we get, we get into, into problems because people are over there doing a job and going like, wait a second, I'm not sure I'm called to do this. Well, hmm. you were sent out from your church to do it. Why, why are you thinking you're not called now? And I mean, I even myself have been in that situation before where in the middle of a busyness or tiredness, you feel like, am I really called or did I just call myself? And, and when we have this weird uh, understanding of calling and vocation, uh, sometimes that, that backfires on us and we give up before we should. I totally I wanna, agree. This I want to hear your why, thoughts. Yeah. yeah. No, th this is why we have you because you nuance it, you flesh it out, you're pastoral. <laughs> I just, I just come in with a sledgehammer and I just, you know, tell people they're wrong and all that fun stuff. I, I, I do agree with everything that you said. And I, I think that, you know, it's important for us to maintain the difference between an internal call and an external call or, mm. or a subjective call and an objective call. And I want to say biblically that uh, a subjective call, let me, let me put it this way. Here's what I want to affirm. Um, and I think I could defend this biblically, but you may pursue missions without uh, an internal subjective calling experience. Um, I, I don't want to say that you should or you must, but I certainly want to say you must not. Um, or I, I don't want to say you must not. Uh, I think you may pursue missions without that sort of a thing. Uh, I think that is lawful. Um, what I uh, want to be cautious about is the language of calling, because most of the time you see it used in the New Testament, it's used in reference to salvation, God's irresistible call of salvation. Um, the eyes of our hearts are open and we see Christ in his beauty and we're, we're compelled to, to choose him and trust in him, repent and believe. Um, but with regard to specific stations of ministry, stations in life, you do see Paul using that language in First Corinthians, but it's in a different way than we would usually expect it. He says, let each remain in the state in which he was called. If you were, uh, if, if you were a slave when you were called, don't seek your freedom unless you can and then go for it. Or if, you're a, if you were free, don't seek to be uh, bound. Um, in other words, he, he says, you know, calling is the moment that you're saved and then whatever vocation, whatever station you are in life, you know, to him writing uh, to a first century audience, ordinary believers in an ordinary church, he says, it is completely uh, well-pleasing to God if, if you just want to take where you're at and just do that for God's glory. And I, I think that our, our theology of vocation and calling um, should be big enough that we recognize being a pastor or a missionary is not above uh, any other trade uh, or job or profession or skill. 
that God has saved people uh, out of throughout the entire history of the church is that's the beauty of the body of Christ is not everybody is in the, you know, quote unquote ministry professional um, vein and thank God that not everyone is in that vein. Right. Right. Um, but, but I, I look at acts 13 and I see the objective call mattering a lot more than just a subjective call. Uh, it's the, when the Holy spirit speaks, he doesn't, speak quietly, privately to Paul and Barnabas and say, go out on mission. He says to the gathered church, mm-hmm. the elders and the pastors, uh, evangelist teachers that are there, uh, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And then they lay hands on them. Uh, and Paul is an apostle uh, in the sense that he's an apostle of Christ, but the two of them go out there as these prototypical missionaries lowercase a apostles of the church. They're sent ones out of the church. I'm very comfortable with that language of, of a lowercase a apostle and that they're officially kind of that rubber stamp of approval and sent out from the local church. And that matters, I think, more than what you feel subjectively, privately in your gut. You know, I just finished reading uh, The Spiritual Secret of Hudson Taylor. And there's so much in that book that that gets into his theology that um, is is very... Um, subjective and driven by elements of emotion and his spirituality. And there's probably a lot that we can learn from. And there's other things that we would maybe have some caution about. But uh, what's more important than what you may or may not be feeling at any given point in your spiritual walk, uh, if you feel subjectively like, oh, the, you know, God's, God's confirming this in my life, is are there qualified people who meet, meet the qualifications of elder, uh, deacon, what have you, who are looking at you, who are laying hands on you, literally, figuratively, that are saying this person is qualified. Uh, they are a member in good standing of this church. They understand doctrine. They can preach the gospel. Uh, they have a heart for the Lord. Their life is in order. Their family is in order. Um, they can lead their wife and their children well. Um, they are uh, morally above reproach. They have a good reputation. Um, and we are going to support them. Um, that to me matters more. Um, and praise God for the times that he does give us that internal, uh, confirmation of the things that, that are external. But I think that's what it is. I think internally that's more of a confirmation. Um, but, but it's a confirmation of something that should also primarily have that strong external push. Yeah. You know, I love talking to pastors who are identifying people in their church who they think may be, may end up in vocational ministry and particularly in missions. Like that tells me a pastor is really engaged with his people and uh, is tuned into the fact that God does call in out people for this task. It also, it also gives people. And and we, I think we do see, you know, I've, I've alluded to it already, but you know, in first Timothy chapter four, um, you, you know, Paul's reminding Timothy of his gift and he's reminding them of his task because, and he's reminding them of him of the fact that, you know, do not in verse first Timothy four fourteen do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And he's reminding him because at times we need to be encouraged and reminded if we just go by subjective feeling, mm. there will be times when uh, those feelings fail us and we want to quit. And Paul's reminding him of there is something objective about his ministry as well. There is a gifting that he was given. It was confirmed. Uh, and and um, it's not just how you feel that day or could be, you know, we all we all know that we, we question so many things in our darkest days that we don't challenge. We don't challenge when things are going perfectly. And uh, in the missions, probably more things will go wrong than go right over the course of your ministry life. And uh, you need that objective um, confirmation and, and, and authority that, that you were sent out by. That's why it's so important for us. And I'm glad that ABWE and other mission agencies that we've interacted with uh, have that policy of you need not just be going to church, but a member of a church and sent by a church. It's not just enough to just be freewheeling missionary who has a personal private calling. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're wondering if you're called, first of all, make sure you have your ecclesiology in check. Know why the local church matters, right? And it's not just because, well, it's a great place where you can receive encouragement and direction and support from your friends in Christ, because all of those reasons are still about you. Uh, it's the fact that it's an objective community. It is the bride of Christ. It's as 
Jesus is saving people out of sin, death, the world. He's saving them into an alternative kingdom and community. It, it's something that objectively exists by a byproduct of redemption itself. And, and because of that, it matters. And all of the people of God, there's the priesthood of, of all believers. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ, but not all parts are the same. And none of us has the luxury of being lone gunslingers for the kingdom. And so I think that's important to consider, especially as we look at the next question, which is when we're looking at a people group uh, or a field, a country, whatever we want to make the object there, how do we know that there is a need for a missionary? Uh, This is a question that also came from Brian Wolf on Twitter. How do you determine if a people group, country, et cetera, quote, need a missionary? Uh, Or can you even determine that? Um, What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. Uh. I can't remember who said it. And so I apologize if you're listening or if you're a, a missions speaker or writer and you're like, that was my thought. But, uh, um, it's but this, this, this is not original with me, but I, I heard someone talking about the, the, the reason missionaries keep going to reach places. And I put that definitely in strong quotation marks is because a lot of times that's the places we take our short-term mission trips to and we visit, we have missionaries there, we hear about it. And so we, we really connect with that need. I mean, it, you know, like Dominican Republic, for instance, like a lot of trips go to the Dominican Republic because, you know, it's relatively safe, but you still get this, you know, kind of exotic experience. And is there need there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, but, but I can take you to, you know, most cities in America and also show you need. Um, but when we go to those places and we feel loved and appreciated and valued, and we can see how we could make an impact, you know, we, we, and we, we, we do fall in love with these places and people. That's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing that if we go on a trip to Mexico or go on a trip to Dominican Republic, or if you come out here and visit us on the West coast, you, you, you see it and you kind of love it, but it, but it's also important to remember that as soon as you very quickly, you, when you get to a place, you know, I'll just use California, for instance, there's days that even though it's beautiful and sunny and, and, uh, so much good, uh, Asian food out here, um, that there are times when I'm like, oh man, I just miss a good Wisconsin snowstorm, you know, or, uh, I miss, I even miss Harrisburg sometimes. I could never imagine you know? missing a Wisconsin uh, snowstorm. <laughs> I do. I, I miss it in my bones. I miss it. And, or like, I just miss, you know, like when we lived in Harrisburg, walking out to the river and watching the river, I miss my friends and, and miss hanging out and just being able to chat, you know, face to face with Alex or whoever. And, and it's really quickly, no matter where you go in the world, there's things you love about it and there's things you're going to miss. Um, and, and so you have to really be careful when you're visiting and doing short-term missions that you don't, you know, don't, don't like get, get all sentimental about it. And so when I think of a place that is needed, like, you know, you need to really talk to the the churches, if there's churches already on the ground, what's the needs there, you need to talk to mission leaders and go, you know, is there, is there a place for people like me here, which they almost always will say yes. Um, and really evaluate, um, you know, also the rest of the world. And, and that's one thing that I, I do appreciate about like the finish the task. I, you know, thought is it does cause us to go, well, do I need another church planter in Fremont or do we also, you know, need uh, a church planter in, in, um, you know, pick an unreached city in, in, in Asia. And, uh, sometimes the answer is Fremont for lots of reasons. You know, I mean, there's, there's reasons that even though I love Asia and want it to be the, in Asia, you know, the age of my kids, their current situations, uh, financial considerations, um, you know, all of those things go into it and opportunity even, but, but if we don't stop and go, um, okay, the, it, what, what, is, what is, what are my gifts? What is my church behind? And, uh, and, and what is the opportunity? And, and we, we're, we're, we're cheating ourselves and we're cheating possibly, you know, we're not doing what, what we should do yeah. the best case. I think there's a big part of this is included. We keep beating this drum is like, what is my, where, where, where is my church thinking about this? And if they're not educated in missions, like how can I help my pastor get connected to, to people or listen to the missions podcast or, or, uh, you know, some other great resources um, so that they are more educated so they can give me better direction, but where to go. I think there's two categories that help us. It's Pauline missionaries and Timothy type missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not firm 
um, biblical uh, categories. Well, they are, they are biblical. Uh, obviously, they're, they're flexible categories. But you see there's very different uh, types of people that the local church can send out. Again, in that lowercase a apostolic sense of being sent out and officially commissioned, not directly on behalf of Christ, but on behalf of the local church. Um, that's that's led by qualified leaders. And you have Paul who says in Romans 15 that his mission is to preach Christ where Christ has not been named, lest he building on, be building on someone else's foundation. It's very different from what he does with Timothy and with others like Titus where he'll leave them behind after him and, and he'll say, now, you know, raise up elders and train them and, you know, watch over the flock and those sorts of things. And there are there are people that go in as the pioneers, as the trailblazers. And I think uh, those Pauline, Pauline pioneering type missionaries are probably the most eminent need of, of our hour as you look at how much of the world is completely unreached. Uh, but there is a real need for the Timothy type to stay behind and to disciple and to patiently make sure that the local church grows up in a way that's healthy, uh, in a way that they're they're implanted in scriptural truth, uh, in, in a way that guarantees that there are qualified leaders that uh, come up through the ranks of those churches as well. So I think that's helpful. And the other thing is, uh, and this is simple, but just looking at the motives, you know, if, if, if it's a church saying, um, should we support this couple or that couple? Does the couple, you know, where they want to serve, does that place really need missionaries? There's a running joke that my wife and I have, and it has to do with a, um, a couple that we had interacted with a couple years ago that was applying to serve overseas. Uh, their application was denied. They, they didn't go through, thankfully, the, the system stopped them. Um, and it ended up being a, a good tool in their own growth and, and sanctification and whatnot. But uh, at one point, they, they wanted to go to a pretty scenic, um, idyllic country in Europe, uh, big tourist destination. And uh, as they're sharing their testimony, they, they had said um, to the people in the room, they said, well, it started as a vacation. And, and they go from there. And they basically outline that that they just fell in love with this pretty country. And so they thought, well, how can we stay here long term? I know. Let's be missionaries. Mm. And, and as silly as it seems to think that somebody wouldn't see through that and maybe challenge that, um, the reality is, is I, I do think that that happens. I, I don't know that everybody always sees through those sorts of things all the time, or, or maybe it's other factors, you know, well, I have family in this country or, or I went here on a high school trip and I just, there, there's a lot of, I don't want to say bad reasons people feel called, um, but there's a lot of reasons that maybe fall short of looking at a people and saying there is an objective need in ministry that I can fulfill here that is yeah. going to advance the objection, the objective of preaching Christ where he's not been named. Um, there's, there's a lot of other variables that tend to enter into some of those equations. So yeah, if you're over the Kochman's house and you ever make a joke about, well, it started as a vacation, then we'll, we'll both laugh because we'll both know what that means. Uh, but I think it's just what is driving you to send a missionary? Yeah, sure. I, I do want to just encourage those who are listening and now feel like super downcast because they were just thinking about their last mission trip or the last vacation and how God was working in their heart. And now they're questioning that. I, I, I would say like in our, in, even in our situation, God does use those things. Like uh, I, I was unaware of, of the needs and missions until, you know, I was in, in high school and took a trip to Canada. We worked on a, just did a week VBS at a, on a Indian reserve or a first nations reservation um, there. And then, uh, you know, went to Mexico and, and did some things in a, in Monterey, Mexico. I've been there a couple of times. And, and there was, a, there was moments in our lives for Tara and I, that after, you know, we were really thinking about what's next for us in ministry, these, these experiences kind of stacked up. And there's times where we're like, well, is God maybe like leading us to go to Mexico? And part of the reason we thought maybe he's leading us to go to Mexico and there are needs in Mexico. I'm not at all downing that as a, as a destination for missions, but it was just because I knew of that situation. I didn't really know of any, of a lot of other mm. situations. I knew yeah. that situation and it was, and my heart was open to it. Um, and we didn't, we weren't led that way. We didn't pursue that further than just a conversation in a, in a kind of a plea to, to God, if that's what he would have for us. But then as, as more opportunities came into our paths and experiences kind of stacked up, we, we began to see that, okay, God took my, 
you know, a heart that we had for inner city work that was developed in one ministry place and a heart for, um, you know, cross-cultural work and a heart for this and a heart for that and, and kind of stack those things up into helping us to see, okay, this is our gifting and our calling and our ability and, and not everyone thinks this way. And so this is where we should be today. And this is where we, you know, we'll end up later. So, so don't, don't be discouraged if you're listening to us going like, Oh yeah. boy, I just went on a trip to Dominican Republic and I really wanted to go back there. Like I, I'm not at all saying you shouldn't go there. Norma saying you should go there, but I really want to say that your experience isn't invalid, but just also understand that we need to be realistic and understand that part of way, why we think we want to go where we go is because if we've been there or we met someone and, and it shapes us, that can be the, the definitive thing, or it could be one step among many that the Lord uses to, to lead you to where you, you need to be eventually. Does that, right. make, sense? I keep yeah. saying, does that make sense? I feel like I'm <laughs> rambling, but I did have a point. No, again, Scott, with the nuance, everybody thanks Scott for helping me be more nuanced, but I think no, I it also something different than you. I think I said the no. same thing as you. We're, yeah, we're, 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 we're on the same page and you know, just, it just comes down to asking also what believers are there already? What churches and ministries are there already? Mm. Um, you know, you may not be called to be the first boots on the ground in mm -hmm. a completely unreached, unengaged people group. We need more people like that. But but man, that that's not everybody because it, right. it, it requires not just calling. It requires grit. It requires complete death to self. Um, so you may be called to do something else and to be more of a Timothy that comes alongside an existing team and work, but have you looked at what churches and ministries are already operating mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. France, mm -hmm. in Germany, in, mm -hmm. in the Caribbean, um, and, and partner with them. Mm -hmm. And maybe that means you go, maybe that means you work through an organization like, uh, ABWE has live global that supports uh, indigenous missionaries and church mm -hmm. planters that yeah. people that are way more disciplined than us. And they already know the, the culture and, and the language, and they're able to be far more effective in near neighbor evangelism than a Westerner could be into and, and, and frankly, to be able to do so living off of a lot less than the average Western missionary. That's not, that's not a silver bullet solution to every missions problem that we've ever faced, but there are places where maybe it makes more sense to go through those means. So just look at how God's already working mm -hmm. and, and see how you fit into that rather than starting by looking within and saying, how do I feel called? And then what do I want to do so that I can fully self-actualize my desires, but look outside of yourself and say, where is God moving and how can I slip in and help and, and work with God in, in what he's already doing? Um, uh, so I think that's helpful. And, and Scott, what do you think about addressing one more question, specifically the last one on the list there? I'm going to let you read that and I'm going to let you interact with it. How's that sound? So, so the last question we're going to try to address, and I feel like it's something we've, we've addressed somewhat, um, but uh, it'd be good for us to come back to it. And maybe as Alex uh, keeps saying, we need to nuance it a little bit. Uh, how, should we, how should we evaluate a quote unquote rapid strategy? And so this is a hot topic as well right now. And certainly we've done our part to fuel the fire and uh, maybe we can put a little bit of an hour, maybe we can stoke it, I'm not sure. But how should we evaluate a rapid strategy, Alex? Hmm. I know you I, have I, your opinions on this one. Well, and and you and I would would share the same heart on a lot of this, but uh, I, whatever I you think say, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the opposite, just so you know that ahead of time. Or you'll say the same thing, but you'll be more nuanced and was winsome throughout it. And, <laughs> oh, no. it's my California, you know, like left coast out on the left coming coast out. Too long, man. That's what it is. It's all right, dude. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it comes down to some simple definitions and. If, if I was in the position of evaluating any strategy, whether it's a strategy that bills itself as being particularly rapid or not, one of the first things that I'm going to ask is, how do you define what is a local church? Uh, if, if a church is just any odd sampling of believers that uh, happen to consider themselves believers in some way um, and have some relationship between each other, uh, I think that's a very deficient definition of church and you are going to be uh, reproducing that whatever you think a, a local church is and i would i would push to say let's look at all the things in the new testament that would define a local church it, it would include uh, the existence of pastors elders 
uh, as well as deacons. It would include the preaching of the word. It would include the administration of the ordinances. It would include some way of gauging membership and having a, a process for uh, for discipline and accountability when people aren't walking in alignment with their profession. I think it's first having a high view of uh, the local church. And then maybe the other thing I would say, uh, again, in evaluating any strategy, not just a, a rapid one, but what are the means of ministry that are being employed? Um, and and that can take a number of different shapes, but all of those shapes should be formed out of the essential substance of proclaiming the word of God. Second uh, Corinthians is, I think, what should serve more and more, and I don't think we read it this way, but as a missionary handbook, and so much of it is Paul just saying, hey, here's who we are. We are sincere. We're hated by the world. The world. We suffer. We're foolish. Uh, but we proclaim Christ and we have this glorious ministry of reconciliation and, and the new covenant. And it's better than the ministry of the law because that was filled with, with death uh, and guilt. And yet this one is a ministry that brings life. And yet not everyone listens and some hearts are open, some are closed. You, you have that echoed in, in 1 Corinthians too, but 2 Corinthians in particular. Uh, and I, I think at root, if we start by recognizing that any legitimate ministry is going to have at the center of it, the proclaiming of, of God's word, then that can take different shapes. It doesn't have to be on a soapbox. It could be across the table over coffee right. uh, in, a, in a European context and it can be done in the, the context of relationship. And there's a place and time to those things. But normatively, what you see the apostles engaging in and what you see the thrust of the New Testament um, pushing towards is, is public proclaiming um, the essential truths of the gospel in a way in terms of language and culture that is going to be somewhat sensible um, and make sense to the people that are receiving it, not in a way that's going to eliminate all of the barriers to their understanding. Sometimes it's just going to make the offense of the message even more apparent. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would look at those two things is what, what are the means that you're using? And then what do you look at as being a local church? Those are just two criteria and there's probably a lot more criteria. No, that's the, I like that a lot. I wish I could disagree with you just for making better radio, but I can't. Uh, I, I like that. I, I do, you know, I, I think um, going along with that is, you know, what are the means by which or is there any intention at all of of discipling the next generation of leaders? I think when when rapid strategy folks, you know, especially like in the DMM, you know, like the best cases of, of disciple making movements, they're going to put a strong emphasis and critique of saying a lot of Western missions didn't do a very good job of replicating leaders and, and intentionally multiplying um, themselves or setting the stage for multiplication. And I think that's a fair critique and a critique we need to be, be mm -hmm. aware of. Um, yeah. You know, it's very important to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about Acts and preaching through Acts uh, here at our church, but you know, in Acts 6, it's really interesting that all of the six men that were picked out to solve this, this Hellenist problem were all people with Hellenist names. So we can kind of assume that they quickly realized if we're going to meet this Hellenist problem of not caring for Hellenist widows well, we need to get actual Hellenist believers ministering to them. Well, and you, and you do see Paul in those churches establishing local elders. And, and we do want to have a strategy that not that does the things that Alex you just mentioned, but also has this strategy of how do we reproduce godly leaders? And, and we, we may, you know, uh, disagree sometimes on how those leaders are chosen and how they're picked out. But um, I think we, I think by looking at how they're training and developing leaders, that's a fair way of also um, evaluating it. It was, it's interesting, you know, so we've had Justin Long on our show and uh, I, I really, I, I only know him through interviewing him and reading his posts. And I've really been, benefited by him. Um, he's also part of a, a agency that is heavy into uh, methods that we've crit we've critiqued like disciple making movements. And he has a really good thread on, on Twitter today that kind of made me like pause and go, okay, I mean, I need to be careful that I'm not just, you know, lobbing criticisms about the worst case examples. Cause you know, he goes through and says, you know, Hey, um, while we do try to figure out methods that are working or not working, um, we do need to trust the Lord to accomplish that and not just assume that's going to happen quickly. And so mm -hmm. while in any, in any movement, I'm sure if More you, that, please, yeah. 
in any movement, I think we can look at and find, if you look at anyone I'm friends with or associate with or books I've recommended, you can find examples of people you're like, Oh, that they did that. Or this was a horrible example or, or they're jerks in this area or areas that are, they're really awesome. And I think it's important that we don't just straw men everything, but that we recognize, okay, we want to make sure that what we're doing is biblical, but even within that biblical framework, there's going to be some variances of strategies and, and opportunities, and there's going to be mistakes made. And like, so, so being careful that we evaluate, but also have enough humility to rec- recognize that, um, someone might do it differently and still not be unbiblical. But we, I think we should, we should be very quick, you know, to go, Hey, wait a second, that, that, that what you're talking about, that is unhealthy and, and unbiblical and, and just, just make sure we're not just broad brushing people, which, um, so when we are evaluating some, sometimes like calling out certain, like, you know, acronyms and stuff is helpful. Oftentimes it's not helpful because within that, little group or that, you know, even, even if I were to call, call it a mission agency and then every, everyone who works for, you know, the, this mission is terrible. Like it's not true. It's just, it's almost certainly not true. Um, right. uh, there, there's, there's good and there's bad, um, often within each, but we, we can fairly go, are, are they, are they doing the things that are, they're consistent with, with a biblical strategy? And, uh, and as there, are there unbiblical methods we should call out? So I hope that yeah. we're, I hope that we're nuanced in that we try to be. And, uh, I think, when, I think when we're not, we get called out for it. Don't you think Alex? <laughs> I do. But, and I also think that, you know, this is why we should just be steeping in scripture, uh, and, and let our, our missiology and our methods flow from scripture. So, um, just the question, the way that it's phrased, how do we evaluate a quote rapid strategy? You know, I, I would be suspicious of any strategy in any sphere of life outside of just missions, um, especially in any sphere of ministry that's going to say, well, whatever you're doing, we have the way to do it faster, right? That, that just reeks of North American pragmatism. And I'm not saying that um, that that is necessarily the motives of, of everyone that would adhere to a quote unquote rapid strategy. Um, but if we're, if we're just steeped in scripture, and if we're recognizing, what was it like for the apostles? Did they have explosive growth at times? Absolutely. And should we pray for that? Sure. If the Lord would see fit to draw massive numbers of people to himself in a short period of time, absolutely. But also, what does the New Testament set forward as being the normative experience of people that are committed to the ministry of the word? Life of suffering, life of difficulty, and going to a lot of cities and being kicked out of town because people don't want to listen to you. And if, it, if, if at the very least we can prepare ourselves for that, then when in God's grace, that isn't the case and we do receive a hearing, praise God for that. But we, we should prepare ourselves for that. We should train for the hardest scenarios, spiritually, mentally, uh, even physically, um, and then give God the glory uh, if he should provide blessing above and beyond that. That's one of the reasons that I appreciate Radius being a sponsor on the show is that uh, they they recognize everyone's going to have challenges on the mission field. Uh, that's not unique to anyone. The difference is in your training, are you going to be prepared to think through challenge and difficulty as being normative? Uh, or are you going to be surprised when that comes your way because you or maybe accustomed to thinking, well, if I'm doing it biblically, or if I'm doing it the way the apostles did it, then I will see more fruit. You may or may not see more fruit. Um, so I think it's just setting our expectations. And, and I think if we start there with scripture and we start there, like you're saying, recognizing that um, we shouldn't be making boogeymen out of, uh, out of other believers, yeah. um, then, then that'll, that'll take us a long way. But Scott, we've covered a lot of ground here today on the show. Do you have any final comments for our listeners? Well, I, I want to, you know, comment on rapid strategy. One more thing is that even historically, and I think we've said this before, but it's important to recognize, even as we look historically, there have been these times in history where things have rapidly taken off, but often we forget how much groundwork was being laid. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, uh, uh, Adoniram Judson, you know, we forget how much labor that went into this rapid, rapid growth. You know, there was, you know, in the case of like William Carey, there was, you know, a dozen years of laboring and toiling and plotting as he, as Carey said in his, in his world, it was a lot of preparation of translating. He became an expert linguist. Um, he studied, 
the Vedas. He studied the Gita. He studied all these things, even translating them into English. And then after all this strategy and preparation work, this miraculous rapid movement took place, you know, so uh, completely miraculous. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I just I delight in the sense that God, he, he how, how many flawed leaders and movements has God, and I don't mean movements in the missiological sense, just theological movements has God been delighted to use for his purposes. Yeah. And so we can also rejoice in that, that, you know, even though we come into it and we we're, even if your motives are hundred percent pure, which they're probably not, and you think you've got the perfect biblical strategy because you read it right from the Bible and you're going to screw it up because you're you and you're human and sinful. And yet we delight in the sense that in the fact of all over scripture, we see God, you know, stepping into human flaw and sin and, and accomplishing his purposes. So uh, take heart in that all you uh, flawed strategy people out there. <laughs> yes. Including myself. <laughs> yeah. We're all flawed. Um, amen. That's a great note to end on. And we love hearing from our listeners. We want to hear more of these questions. It helps us know what challenges you're facing in your own ministries, in your own education as you're preparing to go or you're preparing to send. So continue to give us questions, ideas, suggestions for guests. You can do all of that by contacting me at alex at missionspodcast.com. You can email Scott too, but his his email address is just way more glamorous. I mean, it's just sdunford at abwe.org. That's, I mean... It doesn't yeah. have a nice ring to it. And you got a 50% chance of me responding. So or I should email I Alex. <laughs> I can vouch for that. 50% or less. Uh, or he does, he does send me a lot of emails, though. So, I mean, you're a little bit unfair of a, of a comparison. But Yeah, that's true. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening this week on the Missions Podcast. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com or check out abwe.org slash podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. To ask a question or suggest a topic, email alex at missionspodcast.com, and we'll see you next time on the Missions Podcast.